1: On today's light on literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess Derling. Today, Ma Lin narrates the ninth chapter titled The Emperor Guangxu Part A. This chapter tries hard to bring Emperor Guangxu out of the historical shadows and into the spotlight, but somehow fails. It is still mostly about the Empress Cixi, There are reasons why she overshadowed the emperor, who ought to have stayed in front of the curtain and reigned over the country. In sharp contrast to the public image of someone with no brain, Derling describes the emperor as one of the most intelligent men in China and a capital diplomat. It raises the question, if he had been given the opportunity to serve his people, would China still be the same today? Chapter Nine, the
2: Emperor Quan Shu. The next day, I arose earlier than usual and dressed in a great hurry, as I feared I might be late. When I got to Her Majesty's palace, there were a few court ladies there sitting on the veranda. They smiled, and asked me to sit down with them, as it was still too early, being only five o'clock. I had been told to wake Her Majesty at 5.30. The young Empress came up a few minutes later and we all courtesied and wished her good morning. After talking with us a few minutes, she asked if Her Majesty was awake and which one of us was on duty that day. When I informed her that it was my turn, she immediately ordered me to go to Her Majesty's room at once, I went very quietly and found some servant girls standing about and one court lady who was sitting on the floor. She had been on duty all night. When she saw me, she got up and whispered to me that now that I had come, she would go and change her clothes and brush up a bit and for me not to leave the room until Her Majesty was awake. After the court lady had gone, I went near to the bed and said, Lao Tzu it is half past five. She was sleeping with her face toward the wall, and without looking to see who had called her, she said, go away and leave me alone. I did not tell you to call me at half past five, call me at six, and immediately went off to sleep again. I waited until six and called her again. She woke and said, "'This is dreadful! What a nuisance you are!' After she had said this, she looked around and saw me standing by the bed. "'Oh, it is you, is it? "'Who told you to come and wake me?' I replied, "'One of the court ladies told me that it was my turn to be on duty in Lao Tzu bedchamber. "'That is funny.' How dare they give orders without receiving instructions from me first? They know that this part of their duty is not very pleasant and have put it off on you because they know you are new here. I made no reply to this. I got along as best I could that day and found it no easy matter as Her Majesty was very exacting in everything. However, The next time I managed to divert her attention to things new or interesting in order to take her mind off of what she was doing and in this way had much less trouble getting her out of bed. My reader can't imagine how very glad we were to get back to our rooms. And it was just the 10.30 p.m. I was very tired and sleepy, so I undressed and went to bed at once. I think that as soon as my head touched the pillow, I was asleep. The following day, there was the same thing, the usual audience in the morning, of course, busy all the time, which went on for 15 days before I realized it. I began to take great interest in the court life and liked it better every day. Her Majesty was very sweet and and kind to us, always, and took us to see the different places in the summer palace, we went to see Her Majesty's farm, situated on the west side of the lake, and had to cross over a high bridge to get there. The bridge is called Tai Chiao, Jade Girdle Bridge. Her Majesty often took us under this bridge in a boat, or we walked round on the border, She seemed very fond of sitting on the top of this bridge on her stool and taking her tea. In fact, this was one of her favorite places. She used to go and see her farm once every four or five days, and it always pleased her if she could take some vegetables and rice or corn from her own farm. She cooked these things herself in one of the courtyards. I thought that was good fun and also turned up my sleeves to help her cook. We brought fresh eggs, also from the farm, and Her Majesty taught us how to cook them with black tea leaves. Her Majesty's cooking stoves were very peculiar. They were made of brass lined with bricks. They could be moved anywhere, for they had no chimneys. Her Majesty told me to boil the eggs first until they were hard, and to crack them but to keep the shells on, and add a cup of black tea, salt, and spices. Her Majesty said, I like the country life. It seems more natural than the court life. I'm always glad to see young people having fun, and not such grand dames when we are by ourselves. Although I'm not young anymore, I'm still very fond of play. Her Majesty would taste first what we had been cooking and would give us all to taste. She asked, Do you not think this food has more flavor than that prepared by the cooks? We all said it was fine. So we spent long days at the court having good fun. I saw Emperor Shu every morning. And whenever I had the time, he would always ask some words in English. I was surprised to learn that he knew quite a bit of spelling, too. I found him extremely interesting. He had a very expressive eyes. He was entirely a different person when he was alone with us. He would laugh and tease. But as soon as he was in the presence of Her Majesty, he would look serious and as if he were worried to death. At times, he looked stupid. I was told by a great many people who were presented to him at the different audiences that he did not look intelligent and that he would never talk. I knew better, for I used to see him every day. I was at the court long enough to study him and found him to be one of the most intelligent men in China. He was a capital diplomat and had wonderful brains, only he had no opportunities. Now a great many people have asked me the same question, if our Emperor Quan Shu had any courage or brains. Of course, outsiders have no idea how strict the law is, and the way we have to respect our parents. He was compelled to give up a great many things on account of the law. I have had many long talks with him and found him a wise man with any amount of patience. His life was not a happy one. Ever since his childhood, his health was poor. He told me that he never had studied literature very much, but it came natural to him. He was a born musician and could play any instrument without studying. He loved the piano and was always after me to teach him. There were several beautiful grand pianos at the audience hall. He had very good taste for foreign music too. I taught him some easy waltzes and he kept the time beautifully. I found him a good companion and a good friend and he confided in me and told me his troubles and sorrows. We talked a great deal about Western civilization, and I was surprised to learn he was so well-informed in everything. He used to tell me, time after time, his ambitions for the welfare of his country. He loved his people and would have done anything to help them whenever there was famine or flood. I noticed that he felt for them. I know that some eunuchs gave false reports about his character, that he was cruel, etc. I had heard the same thing before I went to the palace. He was kind to the eunuchs, but there was always that distinction between the master and the servants. He would never allow the eunuchs to speak to him unless they were spoken to and never listened to any kind of gossip. I lived there long enough, and I know just what kind of cruel people those eunuchs were. They had no respect for their master. They came from the lowest class of people from the country, had no education, no morals, no feeling for anything, not even between themselves. The outside world has heard so many things against His Majesty, the Emperor Quan Chi's character. But I assure my readers that these things were told by the eunuchs to their families. And of course, they always stretched it out as far as possible in order to make the conversation interesting. The majority of the people living in Peking get all kinds of information through them. I have witnessed the same thing many a time during my stay at the palace.
0: Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and spirit. And story of the Chinese people.
2: One day, during the time of Her Majesty's afternoon rest, we heard a dreadful noise. It sounded just like the firing off of firecrackers. Such a noise was quite unusual in the palace, for such things are not allowed to be brought into the palace grounds. Of course, Her Majesty woke up. In a few seconds' time, everyone became excited and were running to and fro, as if the building was on fire. Her Majesty was giving orders and telling the eunuchs to be quiet, but no one listened to her and kept yelling and running around like crazy people, all talking at the same time. Her Majesty was furious and ordered us to bring the yellow back to her. I must explain about this pack. It was made of ordinary yellow cloth and contained bamboo sticks of all sorts and sizes and are made to beat the eunuchs, servant girls and old women servants with. This bag was carried everywhere Her Majesty went to be handy in case of emergency. Every one of us knew where this bag was kept. We took all the sticks from the bag and Her Majesty ordered us to go to the courtyard and beat the eunuchs. It was such a funny sight to see all the court ladies and servant girls, each with a stick trying to separate the excited crowd. On my part, I thought I was having good fun, so I laughed and found the rest were laughing too. Her Majesty was standing on the veranda watching us, but she was too far away to see well, and with all that noise, we knew she could not hear us laughing. We tried our best to separate the crowd but were laughing so much we did not have enough strength to hurt any of them. All of a sudden, all the eunuchs became quiet and stopped the talking. For one of them saw the head eunuch Li Liang Ying, followed by all his attendants coming towards them. Every one of them became frightened and stood there like statues. We stopped the laughing too and turned back each with a stick in our hand, walking toward her Majesty. Li Ying was having a nap, too, and had heard the noise and had come to inquire what the trouble was and to report it to Her Majesty. It seemed one of the young eunuchs caught a crow. The eunuchs hated crows as they are considered an unlucky bird. The people in China called eunuchs crows because they were very disagreeable. That was the reason why the eunuchs hated them so. They always set traps to catch them, and then tied a huge firecracker to their legs, set fire to the cracker, and then set the unfortunate birds free. Naturally, the poor birds would be glad to fly away, and by the time the powder exploded, would be high up in the air, and the poor bird would be blown to pieces." It seemed this was not the first time the eunuchs had played this cruel trick, I was told. It always delighted them so much to see blood and torture. They always invited others to drink some wine with them to celebrate an occasion such as this. This cruel deed was always done outside of the wall of the audience hall. But that day, the crow flew towards Her Majesty's own palace, where she was sleeping and the powder exploded while the bird was passing the courtyard after the head eunuch had told her majesty what had happened she was very angry and ordered that this young eunuch be brought in and received punishment in her presence i noticed one of the head eunuch's attendants push the culprit out from the crowd The head eunuch immediately gave orders to lay this man on the ground, and two eunuchs stood on each side of him and beat him on his legs with two heavy bamboo sticks, one at a time. The victim never uttered a word while this was going on. The head eunuch counted until this man had received one hundred blows. Then he gave orders to stop. Then he knelt in front of Her Majesty waiting for her orders and at the same time kowtowed on the ground until his head made a noise on the stone steps asking to be punished for his carelessness and neglect of duty. Her Majesty said that it was not his fault and ordered him to take the offender away. During all this time, the offender was still on the ground and did not dare to move. Two eunuchs each Took hold of a foot and dragged him out of the courtyard. We were all afraid even to breathe aloud for fear Her Majesty would say that we were pretending to be frightened at witnessing this punishment. At the same time, when it was over, we would go and gossip about how cruel she was. No one was surprised at what had happened. As we were accustomed, to seeing it almost every day and were quite used to it. I used to pity them, but I changed my mind very soon after I had arrived. The first person I saw punished was a servant girl. She had made a mistake about Her Majesty's socks and had brought two which were not mates. Her Majesty's finding that out ordered another servant girl to slap her face ten times on each cheek. The girl did not slap hard enough, so Her Majesty said that they were all good friends and would not obey her orders, so she told the one who had been slapped to slap the other. I thought that was too funny for anything and wanted to laugh the worst way, but of course did not dare that night. I asked those two girls how they felt slapping each other that way. The reason why I asked them was because they were laughing and joking as usual immediately they were out of Her Majesty's bedchamber. They told me that was nothing, that they were quite used to it and never bothered themselves about such small things. I, in turn, soon became used to it and was as callous as they were. Now, regarding the servant girls, they are a much better class of people than the eunuchs. They are the daughters of Manchu soldiers and must stay ten years at the palace to wait upon Her Majesty, and then they are free to marry. One got married after my first month at the court. Her Majesty gave her a small sum of money, 500 taels. This girl was so attached to Her Majesty that it was very hard for her to leave the court. She was an extremely clever girl. Her name was Chiu Yun, Autumn's Cloud. Her Majesty named her that because she was so very delicate-looking and slight. I liked her very much during the short time that we were together. She told me not to listen to anyone's gossip at the court, also that Her Majesty had told her she was very fond of me. On the 22nd day of the third moon, she left the palace, and we were all sorry to lose her. Her Majesty did not realize how much she missed her until after she had gone. For a few days, we had nothing but troubles. It seemed as if everything went wrong. Her Majesty was not at all satisfied with Chou Yun. The rest of the servant girls were scared and tried their best to please Her Majesty, but they had not the ability. So we had to help and do a part of their work so as not to make Her Majesty nervous. Unfortunately, she stopped us and said, You have enough to do of your work, and I do not want you to help the servants. You don't please me a bit that way. She could see that I was not accustomed to her ways, for she had spoken severely, so she smiled and said to me, I know you are good to help them so as not to make me angry, but these servants are very cunning. It isn't that they cannot do their work. They know very well that I always select the clever ones to wait on me in my bedroom, and they don't like that. So they pretend to be stupid and make me angry so that I will send them to do the common work. The eunuchs are worse, they are all afraid to take Cho Yun's place. Now I have found them out and I will only keep the stupid ones to wait on me from now. I almost laughed when I noticed that they all looked serious for a moment. I thought these people must be really stupid and not lazy. But I had dealings with them every day and found them out all right.
1: And that was from the ninth chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Ling and narrated by Man Ling. Join us next time on A Light on Literature for the second half of the chapter.
0: What sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the
1: philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese...